You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it, wow. out. I it was that tall. golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. I am your host, Aaron Barker, and this week we're presenting stories about youthful indiscretions. I know a little something about this theme as someone who, at the age of 14, once egged her own house with eggs from her own refrigerator. We live, we learn. Our first story today is from Josh Flaum. It was recorded in December 2018 at the Lyric Hyperion in Los Angeles. The theme that night was Finding Answers. February 22nd, 1997. This is a red-letter day. This is the day that scientists from the University of Edinburgh uh, announced that they had finally successfully cloned a sheep. Her name was Dolly, and uh, she was the first mammal ever to be cloned from a somatic cell using a very delicate process known as nuclear transfer. Basically, DNA is uh, taken out of an unfertilized egg and then injected into the nucleus of a cell using a microscopic needle and a teeny tiny vacuum cleaner. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> I, I don't understand it. Uh, but I remember that day because the night before, I had been conducting a little experiment of my own. <laughs> I was living in Orlando, Florida, back then, uh, and I was hanging out with three friends of mine. Uh, and given that this uh, story is very embarrassing and contains excruciating moments, let's just call them uh, Ian, Will, and Greg, uh, which are their real names, because believe me, they deserve to be a part of this nightmare every bit as much as I do. So we were at Greg's condo, um, and the plan was to have an all-night drink fest. Uh, Ian and Greg's condo all-night drink fest, except 1.30 in the morning rolls around, and we'd already finished all of the alcohol in the house. And thanks to Florida's blue laws, it was now uh, too late to go out and buy any more. Uh, this was a real dilemma. We had officially run out of time to get fucked up. Uh, this is actually a problem with Florida in general, unless you own a boat or a gun. There's not much to do after hours. <laughs> and if I'm being really honest, there's not much to do in Orlando, period. Uh, it's like two hours from the ocean and ten years behind the times. Uh, people literally move there to die. Uh, personally, I was bored every day I lived in Florida. But you don't get fucked up in Florida because you're bored. Getting fucked up in Florida is a cultural imperative. After all, if you're not fucked up, that's when you start to notice all the spiders. If you aren't fucked up in Florida somewhere, then you start to realize you are absolutely nowhere. So we really, really needed to get fucked up. That's when Will had an epiphany. Hey, you guys, we could robo-trip. No. 
Yeah. So, for those of you unfamiliar with robo-tripping, and hopefully that's every single one of you, uh, I will explain it to you exactly as Will explained it to me. Uh, you drink a bunch of Robitussin, and it gets you insanely high. Uh, see, uh, Robitussin contains something called dextromethorphan, which is basically a, a, a cold medication, but if taken in large enough qualities, uh, quantities, uh, it basically uh, delivers a high very similar to LSD, hence the tripping part. Um, so, uh, and, and uh, you know, we thought to ourselves, maybe, just maybe, this was it. Maybe if we just, uh, we can get really fucked up tonight, and all we have to do is drink entire bottles of cough syrup. <laughs> this is what scientists call a hypothesis. <laughs> we were down, so we hopped into Ian's Geometro and sped toward the uh, 24-hour Walmart down the street, and all the while, Will was going over the finer points of what we were to expect. Uh, he said, your stomach's gonna hurt for about 10 minutes or so. You might even puke. But then after that, you will trip balls. I swear. Um, and then he added this. Uh, he said, Robitussin tastes terrible, so you're probably gonna want to chase it with Hawaiian punch. <laughs> now, uh, given that we were at a Walmart, that was an easy task. Uh, but once we hit the cold and flu aisle, that's when we hit our first snag. Uh, you see, Robitussin actually comes in two sizes, small bottles and large bottles. And Will could not remember which size bottle it was that we were supposed to drink. Uh, now, keep in mind, this, these were the days well before everybody carried a tiny supercomputer around in their pants. Uh, so we didn't have Google at our fingertips. We only had Will, uh, who, after hemming and hawing for quite some time, finally came to the conclusion that uh, it was the small bottles that we were supposed to drink. So Ian grabbed a small bottle, I grabbed two bottles, one for me, one for Will, who was springing for the Hawaiian punch. But motherfucking Greg, he was holding a bottle of grape Dimetap, which only comes in one size, by the way, large. Uh, his rationale was that he hated the taste of Robitussin and grape flavoring was delicious, plus, and he pointed this out, uh, Dimetap contains dextromethorphan. That's that same ingredient. So what could go wrong? Uh, uh, Will was like, dude, uh, I've never heard of Dimetripping, though. I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be uh, Robitussin. Um, but, you know, we could not convince uh, Greg uh, at all, so we just ended up at the cash register, all lining up with our respective syrups. We bought them, went out to the parking lot. That's when Will slapped his forehead and said, guys, I am so, so sorry. I just realized it is the large bottles that we're supposed to drink. The small bottles won't be enough. Uh, and once again, he was pretty sure. Uh, so Will waited with Greg while Ian and I went back into Walmart to return our small bottles and exchange them for large bottles. This was the plan. Uh, unfortunately, once we got to the cold and flu aisle, Ian was like, you know what? Greg's right. Robitussin sucks. I think I'll just get Dimetap. And uh, because I'm a stupid monkey, I thought to myself, when in Rome, and I grabbed two bottles of Dimetap myself. And then I headed toward the cash register with four bottles of cough syrup, two of which I was returning because they were too small. <laughs> this is something so colossally stupid that even the Walmart cashier thought she had to say something. Uh, what, you, what you got all these bottles for? And I said, uh, well, my kids are sick. And she said, well, you don't need uh, two bottles. You just need one. And I said, uh, well, my kids are really sick. She said, well, how old are your kids? And I said, eight and 12, having turned 23 just a month previous. 
Um, so, and, and, and keep in mind, the entire time I'm having this discussion, Ian is standing directly behind me with two bottles of cough syrup of his own, ready to do the same exchange. Um, so, uh, it should tell you a lot about Florida that nobody tried to stop us. <laughs> Got back out into the parking lot, uh, and Will noticed I had bottles of Dimetap, and he was like, dude, I told you there's no such thing as Dimetripping. You need Robitussin, and I told him he could go back into Walmart and exchange it himself, but uh, he declined. So we went back to uh, Ian and Greg's condo, and then there we stood in a circle. Bottle of Dimetap in one hand, can of Hawaiian punch in the other, and we actually fucking cheersed. We clacked our bottles together like stupid idiots and held them high and guzzled them down and then chased it with fruit drink because we were the future of America. <laughs> uh, my stomach it was fine, but I started to feel nauseous pretty much immediately. Um, and so, so did Ian and so did Greg and Will assured us, like, this is perfectly normal. This happens all the time. Just wait it out. You're going to trip balls in no time. So we waited. Uh, five minutes is when the uh, stomach pain actually hit, uh, razor sharp, like daggers and glass. Um, and once again, Will assured us that this was part of the process. The stomach's going to hurt. Um, uh, don't worry about it. Just relax. You're going to trip balls. No time at all. Uh, suddenly, Greg turned around, ran into the downstairs bathroom, slammed the door, and I'd have asked him if he was okay, but I was busy running upstairs so I could puke in Ian's sink. Um, when I came back down, I found out that Ian, was, when he had been outside smoking, had uh, projectile vomited over his uh, neighbor's brand new picket fence. Uh, but once again, Will explained, it's perfectly normal. In fact, it's probably better that you puke. Don't worry about it. Relax. You're going to be tripping balls in no time. I'm going to bed, said Greg, who turned around and went straight upstairs. <laughs> I'm also going to bed, said Ian, who also turned around and went upstairs to his bedroom. So it was just me and Will. I'm going home, said Will, <laughs> who turned around, walked straight out the door uh, with 12 fluid ounces of cough syrup in his gut, leaving me alone. And to tell you the truth, I'd have driven home too, but that's when the diarrhea hit. Um, <laughs> And actually, diarrhea is not the right word. I don't think there's medical terminology in existence that can explain exactly what was going to happen to me. <laughs> I was in that tiny little downstairs bathroom for five straight hours. For five unrelenting hours, cough suppressant sprayed out of my ass. <laughs> like purple dragon fire. <laughs> for five hours, I could hear the sounds of Ian's and Greg's toilets running upstairs. A symphony of flushes to accompany the sound of my own shitting. It was as if we'd poisoned ourselves. <laughs> Five hours later and I'm finally done. I stagger out of the bathroom, plop down on the couch, exhausted, at the break of day. And right then, as the birds sang their hellos and how are you, right then and right there, I started tripping balls. <laughs> I mean, colors I could smell, breathing walls, a near mystical understanding in the universe, all that stuff. Um, and so I had finally gotten fucked up. It had only taken five hours of uh, pooping and puking to get there. Now this is what scientists call results. <laughs> so, uh, February 22nd, 1997. I drove home that very day, the day that scientists announced cloning Dolly the sheep, uh, which I actually uh, remember because I heard it on the news, on the radio, on my ride home. So here's the thing. <laughs> Kudos to them, you know. 
their experiment was a grand success, and they went on to get knighthoods. Uh, while my experiment uh, earned me little more than, I would say, a ham-sized hemorrhoid, uh, and uh, a Pavlovian uh, response to Hawaiian punch that haunts me to this day. <laughs> That was it. You know, it occurred to me that there were people out there uh, changing the world forever, and I had drunk a bottle of cough syrup just because I had nothing better to do. And it was in that moment, in that car, uh, that I had felt more worthless than I ever had in my entire life. I mean, if, if you want to get fucked up, nothing will ever fuck you up worse than finding out how pointless your life is. <laughs> uh, so my experiment was a failure, but, you know, uh, it was informative. I learned that if you want to walk the path to greatness, uh, you at the very least have to come to an understanding of what it is to live a life of goodness. I'm just kidding, I didn't learn that. (laughs) Just so you know, that's not the message here. Uh, But I I did learn uh, not to drink full bottles of cough syrup because it's dangerously stupid. And I also learned that getting fucked up to forget a life in Florida is not as effective as actually just leaving Florida. And that, my friends, is what scientists call a conclusion. (laughs) That was Josh Flaum. Josh is a comedy writer local to Los Angeles. He has written for G4 Network's Attack of the Show, Nerdist, Legendary Entertainment, and has worked as a consultant for Disney Imagineering and is a co-creator of the award-winning web series Written by a Kid. He recently shattered his right anterior sinus bone, so that's why he looks the way he does, if you were wondering. Jeez, Josh, I'm sorry to hear that. If you like photos of cats, you're welcome to follow him on Instagram at Josh Flaum. Speaking of cats, before we continue, I have an update here on the cat front. Do you remember Puff the Cat, whose human Aubrey wrote in a few weeks ago with a story about how Puff saved her brother Bucky? Aubrey has sent a follow-up to let me know how Puff responded. She says, My parents played the Story Collider episode, wherein you read Puff's tale of heroism, for Puff during her morning patrol of the shoes in their walk-in closet. Apparently she seemed unfazed by her newfound celebrity. What humility. (laughs) Yet another cat virtue that we have uncovered here at Story Collider. Thank you, Aubrey, for filling us in. Our next story today is from Will Tran. It was recorded in December 2018 at Caveat in New York City. The theme that night was, It's All in Your Head. Let me start this off by saying that I have never, ever cheated on a test in my life. On this, I swear. I was raised in an Asian immigrant family, so I learned from an early age that academic success is the end-all be-all. And to cheat would be throwing that all away. Rule number one of Asian immigrant code was always no cheating. So it was with that open and pure and honest heart that I asked my friend Jason to give me his math exam so I could copy down his answers. (laughs) Uh, Here, I'll explain. But uh, So I was raised in London, which I'm sure you can tell from my accent. Um, And in the 10th grade, we were given the opportunity to take this prestigious international math award exam. Um, It was administered in three parts. It was totally optional, and it had no bearing on our grade, but like I said, it was a prestigious recognition. Um, We we all know that stereotypes are bad, right? 
but there was one stereotype that I always thought was maybe a little less bad and one that I was kind of proud of, which was that Asians are good at math. And I had no reason not to believe that because up until that point in my life, I'd always taken honors and AP math classes. And for the most part, I was an A student, which means I got the occasional A minus and B plus, which is basically an F in Asian immigrant family. Um, but overall, I thought I was doing pretty well. And stereotypes being stereotypes, apparently others thought I was doing well too, or at least good enough to cheat off of. Um, I remember there's this one time in sixth grade, this kid, this kid Phil Riley copied my answers for a math quiz over my shoulder. And being the idiot that he is, he got caught and he got both of us sent to the principal. And I remember that feeling when they told me that they called my mother and she was coming into the school to talk with the principal. I nearly vomited, I was so terrified. Because after all, rule number one is no cheating. Um, but I explained vigorously that I wasn't part of this grand conspiracy, um, but I was actually the rube and the real victim here. And even though they did believe me, that experience sort of stayed with me and sort of shook me to my core. So it was with that firm belief that I was good at math that I agreed to take the prestigious International Math Awards exam. But it wasn't until I was in the middle of that exam that I found out that I was, in fact, not good at math. Uh, there were numbers I'd never even seen before. It was just total madness. I was utterly lost. Um, and learning that I wasn't good at math felt like finding out Santa Claus wasn't real again, and I was completely gutted. So that was that. I figured there was no point in humiliating myself any further, so when they announced the second and third parts of the exam, uh, I just passed it up completely. So about a week later, our math teacher uh, returns our answer sheets so that we can see how we'd done, and I performed pretty much as expected. I got a few answers right, but there were a lot of red X's, a lot of wrong answers, and completely blank, ungraded sections for the second and third parts of the test. But it was a completely different story for my friend Jason, who actually aced the exam, all three parts of it. And that shocked me a little bit, honestly, because I'd considered us intellectual equals, and here he was intellectually cuckolding me. And I really felt that I had to step things up. So I asked him if he would hand me over his exam so I could copy down the answers and figure out the problems on my own time, because if he'd been able to solve them, then I really wanted to as well. So that's what he did. He gave me his test, and I copied down the answers. I gave it back to him. At which point, the teacher wanted to collect all of them again, so we just passed those back up. At the end of the week, our math teacher announces the recipients of this prestigious International Math Award, and there are only three in the entire school, and all three are in this one math class, so she's just ecstatic and overjoyed. The first name that she announces is David Jackson Hannon. Um, I'm not exaggerating when I'm saying this kid was a bona fide genius. He was the Cal Ripken of calculus. He was the Alfred Hitchcock of algebra. He was Yo-Yo Ma in a TI-83. Um, <laughs> he just fit the image of the nerd so perfectly. He was just skinny, shy, gentle, sweet, and awkward. And he had this aura of academic destiny around him where everyone was sure he was going to be the next Stephen Hawking. So no surprises there. The next name she announced was Jason Danker, my friend. And he was a bit of an oddball, kind of an atypical nerd. Um, socially awkward, for sure. Uh, the first words that he said to me on our first day of school together was he just came up to me and said, hey, I love to burn things. Um, <laughs> so we became friends after that. It was a hell of an icebreaker. Uh, but he, he was also a bit of a jock, and he was on the school rugby team. So you could say he put the athlete in mathlete. 
Um, and the final name announced, the third in this trigonometry triumphing triumvirate, was uh, none other than yours truly. And I was shocked, the class was shocked, the teacher was shocked. Then the applause started uh, from the class in that sort of don't really give a shit way that like office workers sing happy birthday. <laughs> but Jason turned and his head nearly completed an exorcist 180 as his gaze was just boring through my skull. And I ignored him and just soaked in the praise because, you know, why not? Um, and here's the funny thing is that I still to this day don't know exactly how this happened. Uh, I have some theories. I imagine on the day that our teacher collected those exams again, she must have left school to go to something both important but mentally taxing, um, maybe like a second job. But ours was a private American school in London uh, whose notable alum included Andrew Luck, Steve-O, and Devin Aoki. So I feel like the teachers were pretty decently paid. Um, so this must have been more of like a passion project, like volunteer firefighting or ER nursing or at-risk youth basketball coaching, or honestly, maybe like all three at once, which could explain this lapse of grading that she had, but we'll never really know for sure. But after that class, when they announced the awards, uh, I talked with Jason, and he was understandably pissed, but he agreed that he wouldn't say anything about it because, honestly, this would probably be the last time we'd heard of this thing, and we'll just let bygones be bygones. Uh, on Monday, in auditorium, in front of the entire school, they announced that we'd be receiving medals uh, <laughs> on stage. Medals for math. Math medals. They called our names out one by one. David Jackson Hannon, Jason Danker, Will Tran. It felt like the final scene of the only good Star Wars movie there is, Phantom Menace. I'm kidding. It was the award ceremony, and there I was up on stage, all awkward and gangly and out of place like Chewbacca. Um, and then the audience started to applaud the entire school, for real. And Jason made sure to stare at me extra hard, but I ignored him. And I just, you know, soaked in the adulation. Uh, yeah, I mean, things were getting kind of ridiculous at this point, but surely this would be the last we'd ever hear of this. So now, bygones could truly be bygones. Uh, a few weeks later, I'm coming home from school. And my mom greets me at the door with a big hug and a big smile. And I see she's holding in her hand the school newsletter that they print and send to every family. And on the front cover is a photo of the three of us and a fucking article written about that goddamn math award. And she's just overjoyed. She's so happy. And I'm overcome with guilt at this point. And I just... I have to stop her mid-praise and come clean. I just need to tell her everything. So I tell her, look, I, I did take the test, but I bombed it. Jason got everything right, and I copied down his answers because I wanted to figure out the answers for myself, but then they started giving us these stupid medals, and now we have to give the medals back, right? <laughs> she puts her hands on my shoulders, and she looks at me with her big brown eyes, and she says, you will not tell this to anyone. <laughs> Do you understand me? You're going to put this on your college application. You're going to get into an Ivy League school. And you will never, ever, ever tell this story again. Do I make myself clear? Uh, and it was then that I learned the one rule that supersedes no cheating in Asian immigrant code. And that's no refunds. <laughs> that was Will Tran. 
Will is not a scientist, but he got close a few times. In high school, he interned at the National Institute of Mental Health, working on a study of Alzheimer's. He matriculated to New York University as a neuroscience major, but then quickly switched to art school. Whoops. (laughs) Will is a creative director in Los Angeles. He enjoys sunsets, long walks on the beach, and standing on stage to share profoundly personal stories with hundreds of strangers for no discernible reason other than the temporary appeasement of some deep, dark inner desire to please. Wow. Me too, Will. The Story Collider is grateful for the support of the Tiffany & Co. Foundation and of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. The Story Collider is led by me, Artistic Director Aaron Barker, as well as Executive Director Liz Neely, with help from Deputy Director Nissa Greenberg, Operations Support Manager Lindsay Cooper, and the rest of our amazing team. The stories featured in today's podcast were from shows produced by Audrey Kearns, Joseph Scrimshaw, Tracy Rowland, and Paula Croxon. The podcast is edited by senior podcast editor Zoe Saunders with help from Gwen Hogan. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Lyric Hyperion and Caveat for hosting these shows and to Youth for teaching us all of these valuable lessons. Thanks for listening. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.